Today on the Arts Report, a theater social experiment using the Merchant of Venice at the Telus Studio Theater, looking back at an important chapter in gay history with the Temperamentalists, and uh, also a cornucopia of plays by the UBC Players Club called Festival Dionysia, plus books coverage including the Gillers, Canzine, and more, and we're giving away two tickets to the Merchants. Sorry, two merchants. So stay with us. Hello and welcome to the Arts Report for... What day is it today? It's the November the 9th, 2011. You're listening to us on CITR 101.9 FM and CITR.ca. My name is Adam Yanish, and this is the Arts Report, your weekly fix of arts and culture news and interviews. Um, today on the show, we're going to tell you about some very, very interesting productions, including... Uh, the Temperamentals, uh, I said Temperamentalists uh, before, that was incorrect. Uh, it's called The Temperamentals, which was a sort of a code word that meant gay in the 1950s, um, I, as I understand it, between gay men um, to communicate to each other. Um, also, so so that show deals with, um, uh, deals with that chapter uh, of being gay in the 1950s and... Um, and getting through a, a hostile society. So we'll talk about that. We'll also tell you about uh, Two Merchants, which is a very interesting experiment, basically, as well as being uh, an interesting production. Or I, I guess you could say two productions, because it's um, two abridged versions of The Merchant of Venice. And um, in one case, rather than... there's a Shylock, in, in the normal version, there's a Shylock, and he's in a Christian... Uh, society, and in this show, he in one version is a Muslim in a Jewish society, and in another version, he is a Jew in a Muslim society. So, um, and then the experiment comes in uh, when you go to see the show and watch it and react to it. Um, a team of a team of uh, lab coat scientists—that's kind of how I picture it—are will be watching you and your reactions. So you, as an audience member, can help contribute to uh, a doctoral thesis, which is kind of cool. Plus, uh, we've got uh, books coverage. Megan is back, and so is Ariel, our our double books duo, and uh, they'll tell us about yesterday's uh, Gillers uh, Canzine, which is coming up. A uh, little preview of the Governor General's Awards. Um, for books and um, and more, so yeah, we've got lots of stuff on today's show. Oh, and one more thing, uh, of course, uh, I have to tell you about Festival Dionysia, which the UBC Players Club is bringing to us, and that starts tonight. So, so it's basically a huge uh, sort of grab bag of theater of short plays. So that would be a lot of fun as well. And that's coming uh, today until Sunday, I believe, a matinee on Sunday. So tons of stuff to check out in the next little while. But before we get on with the rest of the show, I just want to tell you about a show that uh, I saw uh, last week. And this was Reunion at Pacific Theatre. And let me tell you, this show blew my socks off. Um, and <laughs> before I go into that, I want to sort of preface my remarks by uh, something that I heard on the radio uh the other day, which was I don't remember what the the show was about. It was like um, it was like a, a variety. It was like a mixed kind of um, program that uh, interviewed people of different uh, different stripes about different subjects. And and they, they they had a preview for for you know coming up later in the show. And and as an intro, they said you know artists um, artists have to take. Risks. So we'll talk to this so-and-so artist, um, you know, about about the help that they need to to stay strong. Um, and I heard that, and I was like, I don't know. It just kind of struck me that it was a given that obviously arti- artists take risks. That's what being an artist is all about: is that you you take risks. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I knew that. Of course, of course, that those two things go hand in hand. Art equals risk, right? But then, sadly, uh, I mean, I, and I would agree with that. But sadly, um, you know, you go out and you see uh, performing arts shows out there in Vancouver, and it seems like not everybody got the memo that uh, it's about taking risks. And frankly, uh, there's a lot of boring stuff out there. 
So with that in mind, uh, this show reunion, um, man, did they take some serious risks. And I mean, there was uh, the actors, certainly. I'm just looking at uh, who was in it. Uh, Alexa Devine, Evan Franey, and Andrew Wheeler. Was it Andrew Wheeler, Anna, that played uh, Robert McNamara? Yeah, Andrew Wheeler took some serious risks throughout that show and just embodied Robert McNamara like like no one I've ever seen. I mean, these were Oscar-worthy performances. I'm, I'm serious. Like, Academy Award-worthy um, performance by Andrew Wheeler um, as Robert McNamara, who was the Secretary of Defense in the, the 60s during the Vietnam War. And he, yeah, so he captures the essence of Robert McNamara brilliantly. And then the staging, like, this show, I felt like I was watching a thriller, like a Hollywood thriller. I, I, I have to take my hat off to the production crew, the people who did the lights and the sound, because their use of projections and the soundscapes that they produced in this show were not only gripping in the sense that it produced drama and, and a sense of like seriousness and um, urgency, but just in just sheer um, just eye candy, um, it was phenomenal. I, I, I cannot say enough good things about Reunion. Um, the good thing is you can still see it. Isn't that right? Yes. Because it's on until November the 12th. Um, so you have literally just a few more days. Today until Saturday, yes. And uh, yeah, actually tonight is the first night this week uh, that they're back uh, from the weekend. So tonight is your first chance and up till Saturday. It's at 8 p.m. nightly. And then on Saturday, there's a matinee at 2 p.m. So check it out. This is by uh, Horseshoes and Hand Grenades Theater. It's uh, it's a co-production with Pacific Theater. So check it out. Go to pacifictheater.org to see that. Um, and speaking on the theme of risks and taking risks, I also saw a show at SFU uh, Theater called... Um, sorry, I just had it here in front of me. It was like the last seven poems of uh, Fernando Pessoa. And um, kudos to them as well for taking an enormous amount of, of risks because it was a very open format show. Uh, the cast helped to write it, and it was very ambitious. Like, everything at, at SFU is, is very ambitious, and they take a lot of risks in terms of how they stage it, how they, how they perform it, um, you know, the things that they do on the stage, the actors, and, and the techniques they use to, to communicate their message is always... I always appreciate um, their originality and their risk-taking. And, you know, with, uh, you know, with risks, you don't always succeed. Um, but who cares? I mean, it's much more interesting to see risks be taken on the stage and then not be successful necessarily rather than watching people be mediocre on stage. Especially when you pay like 60, 70 bucks. A hearts club! <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, then that's sad because you spend a lot of money and you expect something great. But really you could just pay 10 or 20 bucks to see something at, say, SFU by university students or at Pacific Theater um, and get a much bigger payoff um, for your, your ticket price. So, so there. Um, I mean, that's not to say I'm always open to, to, to see something at the Arts Club and be impressed. I'm definitely open to that, but... They do charge a lot of money, and they don't always produce something that's that's very uh, bold. They don't. Not yet. Still waiting, though. Okay. So uh, we're going to get on with uh, the show, and uh, we want to uh, talk books. Books, books, books. All right. So Megan Thomas and Ariel Fournier are our books team, and uh, and Megan is here to give us uh, the scoop on all the exciting activities in the books world. Hey, Bibliophiles, it's your intrepid info collector, Megan, here. So today's books is not necessarily about a book in particular, but we're going to celebrate the celebrations of the literary that are happening right now in Canada. And we have some events and some prizes that have been awarded lately. The most recent award was the 2011 Scotiabank Giller Prize. 
So we had the finalists announced October 4th. David Bezmozigis for his novel The Free World. Lynn Cody for her novel The Antagonist. Patrick DeWitt for his novel The Sisters Brothers. Essie Ejugayan for her novel Half-Blood Blues. Zhuji Gartner for her short story collection Better Living Through Plastic Explosives. You may remember Zhuji from an interview I did during the Writers' Fest a few weeks ago. And, of course, Michael Anandache for his novel The Cat's Table. And uh, apologies to one and all for my pronunciations of their names. But the winner was Ezi Ejugayan for her novel Half-Blood Blues. Now, each of the finalists received $5,000, but it's fifty grand to the author of the best Canadian novel or short story collection published in English. And she was also shortlisted for the Man Booker, the Rogers Writing Trust, and the Governor General Award. She currently lives in Victoria, B.C. Uh, her debut novel was The Second Life of Samuel Tyne. Uh, she's held fellowships all over the world, and she taught creative writing at John Hopkins, from which she also has a master's. And she's also taught creative writing at the University of Victoria, so it's great to have uh, a West Coast winner and two West Coast nominees of the winning book the jury wrote, and I'm quoting from the, the press release. Imagine Mozart were a black German trumpet player and Salieri a bassist, and the 18th century Vienna were World War II Paris. That's Essie Edugayan's joyful lament, Half-Blood Blues. It's conventional to liken the prose in novels about jazz to the music itself, as though there could be no higher praise. In this case, say rather that any jazz musician would be happy to play the way that Edugayan writes. Edugayan is also nominated for a Governor General Award, as I mentioned, and those bad boys are going to be announced November 15th. But I wanted to let you know the local nominees. So we have Ezia Jugayan from Victoria for Half-Blood Blues. In nonfiction, we have J.J. Lee from New Westminster with The Measure of a Man, the story of a father, a son, and a suit. Now it's published by McClelland and Stewart. He is a journalist and an amateur tailor, and he has decided that he will alter his father's last suit. It's been hanging in the closet at home after his father's death. So it is a story of a father-son relationship and a relationship to manhood. He also goes over his time with the famous modernized tailors of Chinatown and actually talks about the history of the suit. Now, I'm actually a sucker for nonfiction like this where you get half-memoir uh, half insight into a subject that you may never even have thought of before. But it definitely gives rise to the question of do the clothes make the man? In children's literature for illustration, Kim Lafave from Roberts Creek, B.C. has Fishing with Gubby with text by Gary Kent. And this is Harbor Publishing. And it's uh, about the season of a salmon fisherman. And so that's for the kids out there. So if any of you have young children, that's, uh, that's a contender for the Governor General. And then in translation from French to English, we have David Scott Hamilton from Vancouver for Exit, Anvil Press. Now this is the English translation of Paradis, Clafonmain, by Nelly Arcan. And we talked a little bit about the book last week. And as I mentioned, it's a beautiful and haunting and funny story, um, but quite dark. I really felt that the ending was perhaps how she felt she should feel or what she should say to be responsible. Um, but nonetheless, it's a beautiful work and it's beautifully translated. Critics agree with me that there's a very strong voice present and that that really came through in the translation. David Scott Hamilton studied linguistics at SFU and he spent 10 years teaching English in Quebec. And Exit is his debut literary translation, so pretty good start there. Now, another event that's coming up this weekend, Sunday, November 13th, is Canzine. I will uh, be there with the Vancouver Book Club, so please come and stop by our table. Please also check out Discorder's table. Come say hi to the editors and our volunteers and start writing for a local publication, um, be it about music or books or arts or culture. It's at the Ukrainian Hall on East Pender. From 1 to 7 p.m., an entrance is 5 bucks. So some of the events there that you're going to get for your 5 bucks, beyond being able to meet all the great people at Discorder and the Vancouver Book Club, 
There's going to be a reading and Q&A by Kevin Chong for his new novel, Beauty Plus Pity, and we have uh, featured Kevin on the Arts Report before in books. There is going to be a Artist Books, a tale by Keith Higgins and Kathy Slade of Publication Studios. So they're going to have an amazing talk on um, production and publication. So Sean Cranberry of Books on the Radio will be there, and they will be doing uh, a version of Broken Pencil's Indie Writers Deathmatch live. So that's going to be a lot of fun. And one more great event is going to be a one-hour workshop with Geist Editor and UBC creative writing prof Eve Corbell. Now, Eve Corbell, a.k.a. Mary Schenlinger in Another Life, talked to co-books correspondent-in-chief Ariel Fournier about how to make a zine and all about Eve. I'm Eve, and I'm not Eve, and, and so forth and so on. Eve Corbell is my uh, comics persona. Uh, I, uh, I took it as a pseudonym some years back because I'm also Mary Schenlinger, and I, and I work in the publishing industry, and I'm a teacher of publishing and writing and so forth. And that was a, that's a different person than Eve Corbel. So Eve Corbel is my other self, the one that um, just loves comics and tries to draw them and write them and um, fool around with them. It's really just a, another name and another identity so that, I don't know exactly, uh, l- let me just put it this way, my the Mary Schendlinger name that everybody knows me by in, in the business it wasn't my name. It was someone I used to be married to. So I thought I would just pick a new one <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> to do the other stuff that I really have fun with. So that's the short story. So, yeah. so you're going to be hosting this one-hour zine workshop at Canzine West. The one-hour zine, yeah. Yeah. I, so if I, say, the zine amateur or non-zener were to go in there, could I, could I do it? Yeah, you could. Anybody could. The the essence of my teaching or the kernel of my teaching is that everybody can make a zine and everybody's a comics artist. Um, I know that we're not all professionals and certainly um, not everybody is going to be able to do a graphic novel, which takes years to do well. But a zine is a personal expression. It's almost like writing in your diary or or just writing an angry letter to the editor or something like that. It's all about inspiration. It's all about your right brain. You know, it comes from inside, and it's just a quick expression of something or other. So I'm going to give people ideas. Like Some people come in, and they're already bursting with ideas, and they're just ready to go. But I'll have ideas that everybody can just jump to, and I'll have materials. So really, all you got to do is pick up a pan or a brush pan or a sharpie of a color that you like and go to work so what is what is then what is an accordion fold rant (laughs) an accordion fold rant is a form invented by me when i um made the description of the one hour zine workshop Um, but i have actually done them and what it is there's just a lot of different ways to prepare paper to make zines you can fold it and staple it but you can also do lots of other stuff you can take an existing very inexpensive spiral notebook and make a zine out of that you can um you can make a bookmark comic just with a bookmark shape of paper you can take tiny bits of paper and do things and another thing you can do is take a long strip of paper and accordion fold it and write something on it and then fold it up again so that it folds so that it folds out it's not bound at all it's just folded but it becomes very tiny and can be placed in an envelope and mailed to someone that you like or hate it's a rant you know the yeah sure <laughs> rant part can you i guess are there love rants to those exists? you can have a love rant i oh my, can i have that idea i'm going to put that in my next um, zine description yeah <laughs> you know the rant is just um it's a really short word that fit on the line but it, it can also be a love letter it, it, it can be um a shopping list like lists are, are great things for zines because everybody makes a list and they're very very personal and idiosyncratic and wonderful and when you write them down you uh, in, into a zine and maybe just make a little picture or some marks. You don't have to be an artist. Um, it it makes you understand how neat everyday life really is. Mm-hmm. I just was thinking that, you know, you, you're a very general editor in some ways. Yeah. Um, and I was wondering if, if if that is the advice that you would hand down to people who are looking to get into publishing or zine making in a more serious way. Is it take what comes your way or what what do you think it takes to to make it um you mean people who are getting into publishing as their life work or people who are getting into see zine making is really more like writing being a writer and artist which is a different thing but 
um, I have that life too, and I can recommend the mix of uh, of the publishing side and then the the creative side. I wish I had a little more. Uh, I wish the balance were a little different. I had a little more for the creative, but everybody says that. Um, but if the main thing that you want to do to get into that work, I on either side is to hang around with other people who are doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, the, our business is like any business. People hire who they know, and they work with people they know, and so you, you you just you hang around and you hear about the opportunities and you get inspired and you get ideas. That's my general advice. That's my sort of one minute advice. Okay. Yeah, I'm good. At, I'm good at the short form. One hour is yeah. <laughs> one minute advice for your whole life career. You know, <laughs> we we live in fast moving times, Ariel. That's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so thanks, everyone. That's books. Remember to go and pick up uh, Half Blood Blues, uh, the new Giller Prize Award winner, and look out for the announcement on November fifteenth of the Governor General's. Maybe it'll be two for two for Half Blood Blues. You never know. And do head down to Kanzine this Sunday, November 13th, 1 to 7 p.m. at the Ukrainian Center. Check out more info at brokenpencil.ca slash Kanzine. Thanks, Ariel. Thanks, Eve. I'm out. <laughs> and thanks, Megan Thomas, for books this week, as well as Ariel Fournier. Thanks to the two of you guys for uh, this week's book segment. There we go. We always, this is important, we have to close the book segment with the jingle. We're very um, tight with our jingles here at uh, the Arts Report. It's very important to us. Okay, so we're going to take a quick break, but we still have lots of show for you, um, including uh, we'll tell you about Two Merchants, and we want to give you free tickets to see Two Merchants tonight at the uh, TELUS Studio Theatre. So we've got free tickets to give away. That's coming up soon. We'll give those free tickets away in about um, 10 to 15 minutes, so keep your ears and, uh, and dialing fingers peeled. Uh, for that. I don't know if that makes sense grammatically, but do it anyway. And uh, also, when we come back from the break, we'll tell you about the Temperamentals by Fighting Chance Productions. So stay with us. Reclaim Your Radio. On Monday, November 14th, campus and community radio stations across Canada will participate in a special day-long broadcast celebrating the 11th annual Media Democracy Day. The 25th anniversary of the National Campus Community Radio Association, or NCRA, and the launch of an NCRA-led campaign to reserve Canadian radio frequencies for campus and community broadcasters. The special broadcast will air live from 12 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on this station and other participating stations nationwide. Tune in, turn on, and stand up for community-powered radio. For more information, visit ncra.ca. And we're back on the Arts Report here on CITR 101.9 FM and also streaming online at CITR.ca. In the early 1950s, it wasn't easy to be openly gay, and it wasn't easy to be a communist either in the United States. The Temperamentals by Fighting Chance Productions deals with both of these 1950s uh, taboos starting on November the 24th. I spoke to James Gill, who is in the show, and he tells us how this play can educate us about an early chapter of the gay rights movement in North America that many have forgotten. But first, uh, here he is with a synopsis of the show. Is um, overtly a uh, history of the founding of an organization called the Mattachine Society, which was one of the very first um, homosexual activist organizations in the United States. But underlying that is a love story between two of the protagonists in the play, and um, a lot of the development of that story mirrors the challenges that the organizers of the, of the society are facing. Mm-hmm. And tell me about the part that you play. Um, I play a string of uh, a few parts. Um, one of my parts is, of course, uh, a, a founder of the society, Chuck Rowland, um, who uh, went on to found the Celebration Theater in Los Angeles. Um, but I also play a couple of other peripheral characters, um, including Vincent Minnelli, the, the film director, and uh, a number of smaller um, parts that come in and out of the narrative. Mm-hmm. So tell me about 
what is it about this show that's you know important for people to see, or what's what will people be surprised by by um, the show? Well, I, I think there's two parts to it. First is just the historical importance. Um, it's it's really interesting how um, so many people in in the gay community today, particularly younger people, really date their concept of. Um, the political activism of, of the gay movement from Stonewall. And it, it, it's almost as if a, a gay community and a gay political identity really starts to exist in 1969. And the reality is 20 years before that, you had a group of very forward-thinking um, men who had started something. And, and that wasn't even the first of its kind, although it was, it was the most successful to, up to that point. Um, so I think the historical lesson is, is very, very interesting, and, and it's worth repeating um, because there's a whole new generation of, uh, uh, of young people who really should know about how rich the history is. Mm-hmm. But I think what makes it good theater as opposed to just a good history lesson is that there's this very compelling story about uh, this compelling love story between two of the characters and, and how challenged their relationship is, not only because of the times, but because of the choice they make to be, um, to be so activist. Yeah, and tell me a little bit about, more about that. Um, what, is the, the, what stands in their way? I mean, obviously, um, to be two men in love in the 1950s, that's, that's obviously tough, but, but tell me more about that. Well, a part of it is, of course, the story takes place in Los Angeles, and one of the men is involved in the film industry, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and he was a, a quite a famous designer, Rudy Gernreich. Um, he went on to uh, uh, be a, a very famous fashion designer and costume designer, uh, and he, he has pieces in the, the Metropolitan Museum of Art. He made the cover of Time, but none of that have been possible if he had been outed as, as a homosexual back in the 50s. So there was this overwhelming compulsion to be secret. Hmm. And yet, on the other hand, these two men are involved in an organization which seeks to normalize homosexuality, to say that we're out there, we are, uh, you know, we are not flawed people, we are, we are homosexuals, and we're, we're people just like everybody else. And it's hard to propound that message when you're trying to preserve a career. Right. And also with that, the, you know, it's the era of, of uh, McCarthyism and uh, certainly being uh, a communist was not, uh, was not a, you know, smiled upon in that time either. No, and, and of course several of the founders of the society, including my character, were active members of the Communist Party. Right. Um, and, you know, not very many years before, um, we have to remember the Soviet Union was an ally of the United States during the war, and there were a large number of, of Americans who truly believed that, um, that communism would provide for a fairer and more just society. And, and all of that got turned on its head in, in the late 1940s when, when the Red Scare went up. Right. If people were to just take away one thing uh, leaving the show, what, what would you want that thing to be? Um, I would want it to be the, to know that gay history is, is much deeper, much richer, and, and much longer than any of us really realize. Where do you think things stand today? Is is the fight over? No, I don't think the fight's over at all. Um, I think that we have made significantly better progress in this country than in many others. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, the reality of the situation is that we continue to get um, gay youth who, who view themselves as alienated from their peers and, and from their communities. Um, you know, not that Many weeks ago, we were all confronted with uh, with Jamie Hubley's suicide, mm-hmm. and I think in an environment where that still happens, you can't pretend that we've we've come all the way. Yeah. But that being said, um, we are much much farther ahead than we were ten, twenty, thirty years ago. Right. But still, still more to go. Yes. 
Great. Is there anything else you'd want to say about the the temperamentals? Um, I, I think it's, it's a wonderful script. Um, it it had a it had a tremendous uh, success in New York off Broadway. Um, this is the Canadian premiere, and um, we've got a really dedicated company who are very very enthusiastic about the script. So I'm really looking forward to to seeing what we do with it on stage. I think it's going to be fantastic. And that's James Gill telling us about the temperamentals. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's hard for us to, you know, I think we take for granted uh, these days uh, how many freedoms we have uh, in, in our society. And it's kind of, it's easy to forget that in the 50s, there was like, there was a lot of rules about how to be, right, Anna? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to no, throw it. No, I can't eloquently like, over to you, Anna. What do you think? What, I, what do I think? I was just talking to my roommate last night about... She said... We were discussing whether 50 years ago was a long time ago or a short time ago. She said it was a long time ago, and I said it was a... This is my mic on? Yeah, yes. yeah. Um, quiet. And I said it feels... No, she said it was not enough time, and I said it was enough time. And just because things have happened so quickly in the last 15 years, mm-hmm. transition is happening way more exponentially than... than yeah, at, than, at a faster rate. As, yes. Things so, are moving, yeah. So things, as he says uh, in the end of this interview, like things do have changed, but it is still... Like, still a ways to go. Well, yeah. there have been these suicides, you know, lately of, of um, young gay uh, teenagers who have, um, you know, killed themselves because of the, the bullying that they've received for being gay. And... And uh, so, you know, and then that's in the 21st century. So you can imagine in the 50s where, you, you know, you couldn't, there was no such thing as gay. You know, yes. there was just being temperamental. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Temperamental. So, yeah, the Temperamentals uh, is coming to the PAL Studio Theater uh, on November the 24th until December the 3rd uh, at 8 p.m. And then there are 2 p.m. matinees on Saturdays. And uh, on the first Sunday, there's a 3 p.m. and a 7 p.m. show. So you can get uh, those details and more information at fightingchanceproductions.ca. And again, that's, um, that's the Temperamentals, and that's coming to PAL Studio Theatre, which is uh, tucked into the corner of the West End, um, sort of in the, uh, uh, I want to say, Denman and Georgia-ish area <laughs> by Stanley Park. It's an unusual, it's an unusual area for a play. That's all. So I want to help people to get out there. So go to fightingchanceproductions.ca for more information. All right. Now we want to take a short break, and we want to give you tickets to see Two Merchants tonight at the TELUS Studio uh, Theater. So stay with us, and we'll after we play the, uh, the interview for Two Merchants, we'll be giving away two tickets to see the show tonight. So stay tuned for that. Tune in to CITR 101.9 FM for a special live broadcast from Media Democracy Days Vancouver 2011. This broadcast will be aired on CITR from noon to 5 p.m. on Saturday, November 12th. CITR will be broadcasting panel discussions on topics including the future of journalism and strategies to build media democracy. Panelists include the Ties editor David Beers, the Georgia Straits Charlie Smith, politicians Libby Davies, Elizabeth May, and Hetty Fry. Don't miss activist and professor Judy Rebick's keynote address starting at noon. Again, that's CITR Broadcasting from Media Democracy Days Vancouver, Saturday, November 12th from noon to 5 p.m. Visit citr.ca for more information. And we're back on the Arts Report here on CITR 101.9 FM. A UBC interdisciplinary studies doctoral student is taking Shakespeare's The Merchant of Venice and creating a sort of science experiment. It's called Two Merchants, and on the stage, it will feature two abridged versions of The Merchant of Venice, both imagining the central Jewish-Christian conflict in terms of the modern Israeli-Palestinian debate. Specifically, the Shylock character is a Muslim in a Jewish society in one version, and a Jew in a Muslim society in the other version. Meanwhile, offstage, a portion of the audience will be videotaped to study their reactions to the show. As well, lively discussion is encouraged in the bar after the show with opportunities for audience members to give feedback to the researchers. It's all aimed at, quote, developing the use of entertainment to counter ideologies that spur entrenched conflicts, end quote. 
Dana Laurie Chalmers is the brain behind this operation. She is uh, an MA in interdisciplinary studies that focused on genocide, propaganda and ideology, theater for social change, and psychology. And I spoke with her about what exactly she hopes to achieve with this research. But first, I asked her if she's ever done this unique kind of theater social experiment before. Oh, I've never done exactly this before, and I actually don't know anybody who has. Um, I I got into this. I've been I've worked in theatre for most of my life. Uh, I've got a degree in acting, and then I went into my masters and looked at the way that theatre was used in the Holocaust as mm. part of the Nazi propaganda campaign. And from that, I realized that the power of theatre to be used uh, in a very negative way could probably be reversed. And most theatre artists take this for granted. We just assume that theatre can be used um, as a means of resisting an oppressive culture or as a means of um, addressing major social issues. That's accepted. But a lot of academics um, that I've spoken to didn't didn't come to that conclusion naturally. Mm -hmm. So I started to put together uh, this research to really try and understand exactly how we can use theatre as a way of addressing uh, ideological issues relating to conflict. So in this project, are you trying to find a way to use theatre to make social change happen? Or in this case, are you just trying to sort of um, examine what's going on for people? The answer is both. Um, We need to understand what's going on for audiences before we can actually um, use it in any real conflict or any real sense. So we need to understand how people respond to a show like this in order to know that the intervention that we're going to be doing that I would love to be able to do later on would actually work. So that's what this show is about. The end end ideal is to be able to actually use it as... uh, as a very early intervention in an ideological conflict. Okay, and tell me about the, the nuts and bolts of this uh, this project. So you're going to be showing people two versions of yes. uh, The Merchant of Venice, is that right? An abridged version of The Merchant of Venice, yes. Okay, so tell me about how what people will see and what you as the researchers uh, will be doing in terms of, uh, you know, you're, you're watching them and, and what. Okay, so... Um, what people are going to see, there, uh, the Merchant of Venice has been cut down to the length of a one-act play, so about an hour long per act. Um, and in this act, we focus on the, the Shylock storyline, the Shylock lending money to Antonio. And so then what people are going to see is they're going to see that, that script presented twice in the same night with two quite different interpretations. In one interpretation, Shylock, who is normally Jewish, will stay Jewish, um, but the surrounding dominant culture, who in the traditional version is Christian, now mm-hmm. becomes um, Arab Muslim. Okay. In the other version, that switches. Shylock becomes an Arab Muslim, and the uh, surrounding dominant culture becomes Jewish. Right. And then what sort of thing... Now, I understand you're, you're sort of monitoring a portion of the audience, and what are you looking for in terms of their reactions? So um, we're actually trying to uh, gauge audience response to the show in a number of ways. So one is by video recording a very small section of the audience. Uh, Out of 180 seats, I think we're recording about 30 of them. Uh, The other is we have a couple of observers in the house that are just taking notes on general audience response. Then we've got a questionnaire. We have post-show informal discussions that we're recording. And we've got the option for people to volunteer to do an interview or a focus group discussion as well. Mm-hmm. In terms of what we're looking for through the observation or the video recording, we're looking for um, quite quite a general thing. Are people really focused on the play? Are they fidgeting? Do they are they uncomfortable? Uh, do they get up and leave? Do they applaud? Do they laugh? Do they cry? Um, do they uh, cheer? Any of these things would be something that we would record. We then also record, um, uh, since it's a participant observation, you also record uh, how the audience around you is, if you're the observer, you're recording how the audience around you feels. um, Is there a great deal of sort of tension in the room? Are they very enthusiastic about the play? Um, Is there a lot of enjoyment? Uh, Because sometimes... What you can't sometimes you won't be able to see that from far away. You'll only be able to notice it with the people immediately around you. Hmm. Interesting. And I just wonder, looking ahead, um, 
what what do you hope to to learn from this that that can be then uh, applied in the future? Well, a number of things. The one is to learn um, what kinds of things people will notice and take away from a production like this, and how they respond to it. Meaning, uh, do they like the audience? Do they do they like the show? Is one issue, but also. Um, do they, does it inspire them to really think about some of the issues that we're trying to address right. or do they just dismiss it? And what we're hoping is that it's really going to encourage people to think about it, to question things, maybe even uh, question something that they've heard from other sources that may, that may be quite biased. Um, and really it's to encourage people to think and to debate and to, to ask questions. And do you um, hope to maybe change people's like ultimately not with this project of course but to ultimately change people's minds or make them more tolerant or is it just simply to to stimulate debate? Well, those two go hand in hand. Uh, right. The thing that is very powerful about uh, propaganda um, and many forms of media is that they are designed in a way to stop people from questioning the content. To stop to make people believe them at face value without actually saying, is that really true? Right. And what this project is designed to do is to say, be critical of what you hear and see in the media, in propaganda, and think about multiple perspectives. And that in itself should, theoretically, <laughs> make, encourage people to be more tolerant because they're not going to be believing um, biased propaganda. Interesting. So, so simply by taking a, a critical eye to to a story that you're being told or, you know, info that, info that you're being fed, that should be enough to sort of um, uh, break through some of the, let's say, stupider things being told to you. Exactly. Um, and that's also, I mean, it, it came about because I, I had no wish to make, to do the same thing that everybody else, that many other people do, which is to try and portray a single message, because who's to say that my message is any more right than somebody else's? Mm -hmm. So rather than saying, I think that this is the right thing to believe, I said, here are several different things that are believed about this whole project. Um, you get to choose. What do you think makes sense? Now that you've seen them relate to each other, uh, you can think about it for yourself and people can make their own decisions. And that's Dana Laurie Chalmers talking about Two Merchants. And that's coming to the TELUS Studio Theatre at the Chan Center for Performing Arts here on the UBC campus from November the 10th until the 19th. And uh, what are the regular showtimes? Monday through Saturday at 7.30 p.m. Okay, so the show begins at 7.30 rather than 8 p.m., so make note of that. And there is a preview going on tonight, um, and that's uh, regularly $7. But when we take a break in a few minutes, we want to give you tickets to see it for free tonight. And that number, I'll give it to you now, but don't dial yet. It's 604-822-2487. And for more information on that, you can go to theater.ubc.com. C A uh, regular priced uh, tickets are twenty two dollars, uh, and for seniors and students, sorry, for seniors it's fifteen, and for students it's ten bucks, ten bucks, and on Mondays it's five bucks for UBC alumni, so that's a good deal. So check that out, Anna. You're a UBC alum. I am. So you can see it for five bucks. Okay. Would you be intimidated at all, like, uh, to see a show that you knew was like a research experiment? Um, not necessarily intimidated. I would be fine because I know I am willingly, you know, participating, participating right, in this experiment. But because yeah, yeah. you're would, going in, going, okay, I know what's going on. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. And I'm if, sure they, they, if they didn't tell you, <laughs> if they didn't tell me, then I would be not only intimidated but upset. <laughs> Who are all these people in lab coats? Why are they watching me? What is this about? Watch this show. Why is he looking at me? Okay, um, so that wouldn't. That wouldn't, no, Affect because you. I'm sure, like, people know and will be aware of this when they go to see this show. Mm -hmm. And the only thing that would uh, maybe change in some way is that my uh, expectations would be lower in regards to the, the I guess, the... Uh, artistic. Artistic output. Output. Nice. Or, artistic yeah. output. That's a good way of putting it. Would be lowered. Why? Because it's an experiment. I don't know. That's that's the first thing that comes to my mind. Yeah, just going into it. like... You know, I'm not expecting. Some I'm, award I'm just expecting something to get done, as in an experiment. You know, just mm -hmm. like a process, procedure, 
uh, reaction, collect data, and that's it. Mm -hmm. right, so. Actually, that reminds me um, that uh, Dana wanted uh, wanted me to say that they did actually they did spend a lot of time on the actual production itself, and and the production is is you know top notch as well. So I think you could go to it and just enjoy it for what it is without even without being too worried or too without even knowing really that it is a an experiment and well that would be i guess their 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 final goal it should be that you know you you forget that you're undergoing mm -hmm. an experiment and you're completely submerged mm -hmm. into the the show so. yeah if anything i would think that would be a major criteria of the experiment that it that the show has to be captivating yeah. right to provoke um the reactions that they want to study. Yeah, so, you know, thinking about it, it might be even a better show because there was so much effort <laughs> put into... It's like, this is science, it damn it! Really? This better be good! <laughs> exactly. All right, so that's Two Merchants, an adaptation of William Shakespeare's The Merchant of Venice, directed by Dana Laurie Chalmers, at the TELUS Studio Theatre here at UBC, inside the Chan Center for the Performing Arts. And that's... Uh, uh, I want to say opening, but it's o it's opening tomorrow with a preview tonight. The preview tonight, November <laughs> the 9th. And we want to give you two tickets to see it um, for free. Otherwise, it's uh, seven free. bucks tonight. Free, that's right. So uh, we're going to take a break, and we will accept your phone call right now if you call 604-822-2487. Oh. And, and I want to mention this before you whisper again about free tickets, <laughs> that uh, we're also going to give some tickets away on Twitter. Ooh, exciting. <laughs> so uh, if you're not already uh, a follower of The Arts Report on Twitter, do get on it right now. All you have to do is uh, go to twitter.com and just search uh, Arts Report, C-I-T-R, and you will find us. And uh, and just be just just follow the instructions. We'll say tweet us now or, or retweet something we said now, and the first person to that will get uh, tickets. All right. So yes, that number again is six zero four eight two 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 four eight seven. Call now. We'll be right back. How do you write a good magazine article? Discorder is that magazine published by CITR one hundred one point nine FM. In it, you'll find reviews of concerts and albums, stories about bands and artists, comics, and more, including a comprehensive guide to CITR's programming. In November's issue of Discorder, read up on the features, including interviews with Catherine Calder, Siskiyou, and the fabulous Vacant State. This month's Venues column tackles Vancouver's queer hip-hop scene. And you can't miss that cover story on Blackout Beach. So look out for the deep red hue of November 2011's edition of Discorder. Discorder is available all over the fine city of Vancouver. For a complete list of distribution locations, why not go online to discorder.ca? And we're back on The Arts Report here on CITR 101.9 FM and streaming online at citr.ca. The Arts Report is on every Wednesday at 5 p.m. And the podcast is available on iTunes as well. So if you missed last week's show, you can check it out there on iTunes. Um, and one feature that we had last week that you can see uh, live in the flesh right now is Snowman by Rumble Productions. So we have an interview uh, on last week's podcast, First Snowman, and you can uh, check that out now. Snowman is playing uh, until November the 19th at the review stage on Granville Island, and tickets are on sale from $15. And uh, Kathleen Oliver at the Georgia Strait has called it a thrilling, stylish ride. It's also been, called, it's also been said that Snowman should be on everyone's must-see list. That's Mark Robbins from GayVancouver.net. So check that out. Uh, that is happening right now at the review stage on Granville Island. And uh, Rumble always does very, very provocative and risk-takey work. Risk-takey? Risk-taking work. So check them out. Also, Remembrance Day is coming up on Friday. Um, Whenever you see a, a trailer for a movie or a commercial, it always says, Coming out, 11, 11, 11. Because it's November 11th is, um, is uh, Friday this year. So that's kind of cool. But anyway, um, for Remembrance Day, it would be timely to see uh, Vimy 
at the Fire Hall Arts Center. The Battle of Emmy Ridge was a turning point for Canadian self-determination. In this play by Governor General's award-winning playwright Vern Thiessen, a nurse looks over four young soldiers as they recover from the battle in a military hospital in France. So that's playing at the Fire Hall Arts Center, which is, coincidentally, firehallartscenter.ca. And you can go there and find out more information about tickets. And there's even a clip. There's a YouTube clip um, with a small portion of the show that you can check out there. So firehallartscenter.ca. Also related to Remembrance Day, it's... um, Let me tell you about this. It's called Remembrance Day East Meets West. It'll be held on November 11th from 7 till 10.30 p.m. in the International Village Mall to honor the veterans who served during the war. The Canadian Chinese Veterans Society will have its members join us in an occasion to celebrate Remembrance Day. Colonel Hao Li will deliver a short speech during the ceremony. So check that out. There um, will also be... Uh, a variety of other events, like a fashion show, for example, um, um, and other such things. So check that out, and that's happening at the International Village Mall on November the 11th from 7 until 10.30 p.m. That, of course, is 88 West Pender Street. All right. So UBC's Players Club allows non-theater students to act out, and now they're putting a... putting on a festival of plays, including works by Oscar Wilde and Don Negro, as well as original works. It's called Festival Dionysia, and includes 50 people, six plays, and a whole lot of love. Ryan Cairn is the artistic director of the festival and a director of one of the plays. We talked about why people put in so many dedicated volunteer hours to make plays, but first I asked him where the idea for this festival came from. UBC Players Club has had a short performance evening for years now, and it's been um, a little invite-only thing. Whoever's worked with the club that year, you know, a, a year-end um, party for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and that wasn't really fulfilling much of a need. Uh, it was great to have a venue, but there was a lot of work that goes into doing any show, and to do it for one night felt very... Um, mm. uh, wasted. Right, because you do all this rehearsal work, you do all this preparation and then to just kind of, you know, you do a, a performance for people mm-hmm. and you have an audience, but then to hit that brick wall right after that first night. And be done. It, it's it such hurts, a shame. It? <laughs> yeah, with some really cool content. Um, so last year during our submissions, we were going through some really amazing submissions um, by great artists, great directors. Um, what we were realizing is we had extremely talented people who wanted to work with us um, in shows that would maybe involve six people. Mm. Like artists, directors, done. Six six or seven people. Yeah, cast max. and crew. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just not enough positions. Um, and those are also very huge demanding positions that a lot of starting artists just couldn't um, reasonably commit to. Yeah. So we took one of those shows because we are um, blessed by UBC Theatre with two uh, weeks of space to nice. do two shows. Um so we took one wonderful main stage piece, The Drawer Boy, by, uh, directed by Mike McKenzie of the Arts Club, um, happening this spring. Uh, and then we decided to do something totally different out of left field um, to involve as many people as possible. And that's where uh, Festival Dionysia was, was born. Mm. It's a combination of something we were already doing that wasn't quite working and something we really wanted to do that, uh, to fulfill our mandate as a club um, to create that opportunity. Hmm. So... Uh, Give me an example of one of these uh, six shows. Um, what okay. can people see and experience if they come out? Sure. Uh, well, it's a, a grab bag. It's a very comedic <laughs> evening, um, though with some poignant moments. We've got works by um, Oscar Wilde, Don Negro, and uh, Berhold Brecht being performed. Mm-hmm. Um, the Informer by, by Berhold Brecht opens the show with uh, a small parlor drama set in Nazi Germany. Um, now, director Emily Tyler... Uh, has done some really beautiful work about with her set and with her design, introducing propaganda from many periods, um, mm. including some very recent things and very uh, close to home things. Yes, such um, as well. Uh, I will say there's a radio that plays back to back some German propaganda and some chillingly familiar uh, Olympic uh, interviews. Okay. Um, so opening some political dialogue there. Uh, we also have uh, original work by local playwrights um, 
on the more farcical side of things, my own piece, um, Price of Coffee, written by Emily Tyler, uh, is a, a very fun, funny, intimate, I Love Lucy-style comedy mm. piece about when you hit that point in your 20s where you ha- you know what your dreams are, but you have no practical skills whatsoever to achieve them, and how that can all fall apart around you when you realize that. And this is your show, as in you are directing the show? Yes, I've directed within the, the festival, as well as artistic directing the festival as a whole. That's a lot of work. How do you, do you sleep? Uh, not usually. Um, I actually work night shifts in my, day, my other job quite oh my a God. bit, so I don't sleep much at all, but it's worth it. Um, Why? Why? Um, <laughs> I don't mean to yeah, insult you with that question. Yeah, that's a great question, actually. I ask myself that sometimes. I bet, um, no, but what is it that, that uh, keeps you going and keeps you awake and inspired? Mm-hmm. Last night, um, we've, we had a full audience at our dress rehearsal, entirely from the cast and crew and designers and everyone involved. We filled our house. Um, a solid two-thirds, three-quarters of those people wouldn't be doing theater right now if not for something like this. Mm. Um, And there's nothing else like this on campus at UBC in this part of the city where you can volunteer your time without having to mortgage your life or Mm. your money. Um, So having all those people, seeing them happy and involved and creating Mm -hmm. is really rewarding. Uh, And just the little moments, like when when you call someone to cast them and you get that excited, oh my God, really? You you want... Yeah, you want me to do this? Um, it's just a really great, warm, fuzzy feeling that you're creating this opportunity um, for someone else to grow. I remember not that long ago um, being a second-year student here doing my first show at the Players Club, how big of a deal that was, how big of a life-changer that was for me and how much I learned. Hmm. Um, and I wanted to make sure that that opportunity would continue to exist for uh, students here and for, for starting artists. Hmm. Great. Uh, we've run out of time, but is there anything else you'd want to mention uh, about this project? Uh, very specifics, I suppose. The mm. the dates. Uh, tonight, Wednesday the 9th, is our opening at 7 p.m. at the Dorothy Somerset Studio on campus. And we run every evening, uh, the next four evenings through to Saturday at 7 p.m. And Sunday at 2 p.m., we're closing with a matinee. So, um, yeah, please come support uh, these young artists. You will enjoy a very good, very funny, very poignant evening of theater. Um, yeah. Great. That's about it. Well, thanks so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. All right. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> I did. You could hear me at the end of that clip going, all right, as I hit the stop record button. Anyway, that was Ryan Karen, and he's telling he was telling us about Festival Dionysia. And that is coming to the Dorothy Somerset Studio here on the UBC campus. It's actually 6361 University Boulevard. And that's happening from today, November the 9th, until the 12th at 7 p.m. On November the 13th at 2 p.m. And tickets for members are 5 bucks, 10 bucks for non-members. And you can reserve tickets... Uh, at Dionysia Festival at ubcplayersclub.com or better yet just go to www.ubcplayersclub.com and find all the relevant links there alright well that officially brings us to the end of today's program if you've missed any of it um, any of our features including the one on two merchants the social experiment on the merchant of Venice or the temperamentals Um, or our book's coverage, then check out our podcast, which will be available in a couple of hours from iTunes or from from our website, citr.ca. Just follow the links from uh, shows, podcasts, and then our support uh, and get it there. Also follow us on Twitter and Facebook and every other place that is social media on the interweb. Uh, All right, I need to be quiet now. And uh, and say thank you to Anna here in the studio, and as well thank you to uh, Megan and Ariel. And uh, join us next week on the Arts Report next Wednesday at 5 p.m. I'm Adam Janusz. Bye bye. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa.